In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight from the Psalm of David, Psalm 31, will start from verse 13. But to give you background, David was persecuted in his life by King Saul, by his son Absalom. So, in all his persecution, he used actually to pray to the Lord and he put all his trust in the Lord. So, Psalm 31 is typical Psalm of David in which he expresses his suffering, but at the same time he declares his trust in the Lord. So, verse 13, he said, For I hear the slander of many. I hear the slander of many. Fear is on every side. While they take counsel together against me, they scheme to take away my life. So, the reproach, the slander, the false accusation, the conspiracy that spread against David had reached his ears. And all these had affected him. In verse 12, we know that he had two sources of trouble. Number one, he was reproached even by his friends and his neighbors not only by his enemies. And number two, he was forgotten by those who ought to have remembered him. And they treated him as though he is dead. In verse 13, there is also a third source of trouble for him, that he is the subject of slander and false accusation. And these words are also the word of Psalm uh, 31.13, also the same in Jeremiah 20, verse 10. Then he said, fear is on every side. Fear is on every side. What does this mean? Means in his heart there is fear. In the heart of all his friends there is fear. Especially when he heard that his enemies are holding a formal council. And this formal council was not actually to take away his liberty, for example, to put him in prison. But this council was to take away his life. And as we know, the Psalms of David, they are also prophecies about the Lord Jesus Christ. So we can see how the scribes and the Pharisees conspired not only to take the liberty or the freedom of our Lord Jesus Christ, but their plan was to take away his life. As David said, uh, while they take counsel together against me, they scheme to take away my life. But as I told you, the Psalms of David, 
goes back and forth between uh, his trouble and his uh, worries and his fears and between the trust in God. That's why in verse 14 we see how this tone of fear and worry and anxiety has changed. In verse 14 he said, But as for me, I trust you, O Lord. I say you are my God. Yes, they conspire to take away my life. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. So, starting from verse 14, we see how David returned to expression of trust in God and to earnest prayer to him. His faith is revived again under all the discouraging views he had of things around him after all these fears, but his faith revived again. He committed himself to God, believing he was able that God is able to help him in the time of trouble and to deliver him. As we just heard in the last song about the hope, when all the doors are closed, there is hope in God because he is the hope of the hopeless and the help of the helpless. However, however great are the troubles of David, but his trust in God was even greater. Verse 15, he said, My times are in your hand, not in the hand of my enemies. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. My times, what does this mean, my times? He meant the time of my life, how long I will live, all the events that will happen in my life and the timing of these events either happy events or sad events. All these things are in the hand of God. He is the Pantocrator. He is the controller of everything. That's why in faith he had committed all things into the hand of God. So while his enemies are conspiring to take away his life, David said, I'm not afraid because I know my time is in your hand. No event in my life will happen except if it is shaped and ordered by God, not by my enemies. And when we know that our times are in God's hand, this actually will give us comfort and peace. As we read in Romans 8:31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God have our times in his hand, what can discourage us? So David was praying that since all these things are under God's control, God is in control, then God will rescue him from his enemies. Then in verse 16, Make your face shine upon your servant. Save me for your mercy's sake. Make your face shine upon your servant. 
save me for your mercy's sake. So, if you read in, in the book of Numbers, chapter 6, verse 23 to 27, there is blessing or benediction the priest used to give to the people before they dismissing them. As there is a benediction in the new covenant, in the new, now in the church, the benediction that ends with Christ our God, so in this benediction in the Old Testament that was uh, recited by the priest, uh, the priest used to say, let the face of God shine upon you. May the face of God shine upon you. So David, in verse 16, he borrowed from the priestly blessing that used to be said in the temple, and he is asking for the goodness and the favor of God to be poured upon him. When he said, let your face shine upon me, David is asking God to express his love and favor to him. He is asking God to answer his prayer. And I want you to notice, he said, save me for your mercy's sake, not for any good in me, not for any merit and righteousness in me, but for the sake of your grace and your goodness. St. Ambrose saw in this verse, verse 16, a prophecy about Jesus Christ and said the word the servant here, make your face shine upon your servant. Servant here refer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because your servant, is, that's a quote by St. Ambrose, your servant is the word of God who incarnated and became a servant for our sake, who carried our suffering without separation from the Father because he is his word. So, uh, St. Ambrose continue, he said, Jesus is the servant because he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Uh, some scholar said, the cry of David, make your face shine upon your servant, is a cry seeking the coming of the Messiah in the second coming, who will save all human from the evil. In verse 17, he said, Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let me be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon you. Let the wicked be ashamed. Let them be silent in the grave. Do not let me be ashamed, but let the wicked be ashamed. Let them be silent in the grave. So David is asking God not to let him be disappointed. In the time of trial, David had put his confidence in God and in his promises. And actually, all of us, when we go through difficult time, whether we are persecuted or afflicted, if we put our trust in God, we will find in him a safe and a secure refuge. But David asked God to put his enemies uh, to shame. 
So David asked God to do to his enemies that which his enemies wished to do unto him. But I don't want you to understand that David was praying for their destruction when he said, let the wicked be ashamed. There is no reason to take this prayer as a petition for their destruction. But David was hoping if they are ashamed and their counsels are defeated, maybe this will lead them to repentance. So, those who are against God will be ashamed sooner or later because of their wickedness and because of their false trust and confidence in false things. Because they rely on their strength, they rely on their skill, they rely on their courage, they rely on their resources, but not on God. So, David is saying, let it happen soon to them that they may repent and return back to you. Let them discover that all these things are not safe ground of trust. But when they discover that they cannot trust these things, they may return to you. And also, let them be ashamed that others will not follow their example. What did he mean by let them be silent in the grave? David here is making a prophecy by that these people will be silenced. The, the reproach, the conspiracy will be silenced. So David prophesies the silencing of those that reproach and speak evil of the people of God. If they repent, then they will go to heaven. But if they didn't, did not repent, there is a day coming when the Lord will execute judgment upon them. The ungodly sinners can expect only shame and silence of death as their portion in eternity. So David is asking God to put an end to his enemies, to his persecutors, and to the slanders of pride and malice and to defeat their plan. Or David is asking that God may silence them by leading them to repentance as I explained. Verse 18 Let the lying lips be put to silence which speak insolent things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. So, St. Augustine said this verse is about Christ. We know how the scribes, the Pharisees, the high priests spoke lies about the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, this one of the Psalms that we pray during the Holy Week, let the lying lips be put to silence which speak insolent things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. And the righteous here is our Lord Jesus Christ. St. Augustine said, Those who speak iniquity against Christ in their pride and contempt of him as a crucified man, let, be, let them be silenced. Then verse 19 
From verse 19, we see a transition here. Now David ended the psalm by praising the Lord. Verse 19, Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. So he said, your goodness is great, which you have laid up. Laid up means stored, stored for those who fear you. What does this mean? David turns from prayer to praise. And in the next four verses, he praises the goodness and mercy and the marvelous loving kindness of God. When he said you have laid up or you have stored, because the favor or the grace is not always visible to us, but it is like stored for the people of God in his treasure. And from this treasure, this grace will be drawn forth when we need it. And when God see it is fitting. Also, it may mean that this goodness is declared in the hidden chambers of the heart, stored here, stored to those who fear the Lord. God's goodness to those who fear and trust Him is like an, a treasure stored up. And at the proper time, it will be brought out and used for them who take refuge in the Lord. But David said, How great is your goodness which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust you in the presence of the Son of Man. So God not only laid it up in secret, but God, will work out this deliverance before all people and God will show his goodness to his children openly in the view of the world. Some father said the goodness that's stored up is the Eucharist, is the communion, concealed from those who despise the communion, who ask with the Jews, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then in verse 20, he said, You shall hide them, you shall hide those who fear you in the secret place of your presence. In the secret place of your presence. You shall hide them from the plots of man. You shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. So, attacked by many enemies and by many troubles, David found security in the presence of God. And he called this presence of God secret place. He found comfort and strength in the hidden place of God's presence because our relationship with God is a, a secret, a hidden relationship, the true fellowship with him. It is something personal between me and God. That's why it's called the secret. 
partly because the greatest part of the world are stranger to God, foreigner to Him. And His presence, because His presence is a safe and secure place, as if the presence of God in my life as a secret and unknown place to the people of the world so I can hide there from my enemies. And those that fear the Lord and trust Him are called His hidden ones, as we read in Psalm 83, verse 3. And God preserved them in time of trouble and danger, as if He is hiding them under His wings from the attacks of the world. So the presence of God was so secure for David that he found refuge from not only the plots of the enemy, but also from the strife of tongues, from the slander, from the attacks of their words. So that is when we hide ourselves in the presence of God. Verse uh, 21. Blessed be the Lord, for he has shown me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. Verse 20 said secret place. Here now speaking about the strong city. Blessed be the Lord, for he has shown me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. So David offered thanksgiving for the evidence that God had heard him in his troubles and had answered his prayer. What is the strong city? As if God placed David in a city out of the reach of his enemies, in a protected city. And David actually in the same Psalm, verse 2 and 3, he called God my fortress. So as if David, the strong city is God himself. He is hiding in God, under the wings of God. So now this is a strong city. His enemies cannot, cannot reach he, him there. Literally, literally, some commentators said David escaped from Qa'ila where God had wonderfully preserved his life. Others said, uh, he said the strong city when he was received by the Jews at Habrun where God had commanded him to go up and he was crowned there. But the strong city spiritual is the church. The church is the strong city. This is the city in which we can find actually safety and security. Strong, the church is called the strong city because church is strong in the doctrine, in the sacrament, in the various gifts of the Holy Spirit. St. Augustine said that this is Jerusalem, Jerusalem above. Then in verse 22, David made a confession about his weakness. He said, for, in, for I said in my haste, I am cut off from before your eyes. When he was in trouble, he said in haste, without uh, studying the whole situation well, he said, I cut off from before your eyes. 
God forgot about me. God delivered me uh, to my enemies. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplication when I cried out to you. So you proved me wrong. So David confessed that in the time of his affliction, in the moment of weakness, he felt that he was cut off completely from the eyes of God. And humbly, he confesses his lack of faith in the hour of trial when he thought himself out of the sight of God. David fell in, fell in despair and gave himself up to failure and defeat. But what was good about David, even when he was in despair, he cried out to God and God heard the voice of David's supplication. Because as, as we said, God is the hope of the hopeless, the help of the helpless. So although his faith was weak, very weak, and his unbelief was so strong, but he did not stop praying. He knew that nothing is impossible with God, and therefore he still looked up to him. Then in verse 23, because of this beautiful experience, he is calling everyone and saying, Oh, love the Lord, all you his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. So, David calls upon the saints to love God on the ground of his own experience. He had to use what God has done in his life as a motivation and listen to exhort all God's saints to love him. So, his personal experience turned it into a motivation to call the people to love the Lord. Those that have their own heart full of the love of God cannot but desire that everyone else to taste the same experience and also to love the Lord. Then he said about God that God fully repays the proud person. As we read in the New Testament, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So, this encouragement to love the Lord and to praise Him also has a warning to those who refuse Him. In their pride, they are refusing God. So, why we love God? We love God for His goodness because He preserves the faithful. But also we love Him because of His justice because he fully repays the proud person who would actually in his life resist God and persecute the children of God. Then the last verse in the psalm, beautiful verse, verse 24, Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. So David closed this psalm by encouraging others to find what he had experienced with God. God's people have reason of good courage. Why? Because God strengthened his children. God strengthened those who trust him and who have hope in him. Those who hope in God have reason to be courageous 
because nothing truly evil can happen to them because their life is in the hand of God. By confidence in God's promise, David had found by his experience that God delivered him from his enemies, those who planned to take his uh, life. That's why he is encouraging all of us to have good courage in the Lord, because David trusted the promises of God. Joshua, the disciple of Moses, when he started his ministry, he was afraid, but God told him, be of good courage. The same words that actually we read in verse 24, we can read it in Joshua chapter 1, verse 7. And be of good courage, it's used almost 20 times in the Old Testament, particularly in anticipation of battle. As also in the New Testament, Paul said to his disciple Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. So this psalm is a psalm of hope, psalm of encouragement, even in the middle of our affliction, in the middle of our tribulation, if we cry to God and we put our trust in him, he will deliver us. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.